Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women by sharing their unique stories and empower a community through the mission and their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, a former school teacher and principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. Each week, we will feature stories from women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. Welcome back to the In Awe Podcast and this wonderful series on voices. The community's response to this series so far has filled me with such deep joy and gratitude, knowing that the mission and the messages of the women featured are not only landing where needed, but timed ever so perfectly. Because it was an obedient risk I took to flip around the series features, I wasn't at all sure if I could pull it off to schedule some of these guests, but friends, all is working out for our good, and I am most certain that our final two episodes in this series are going to move you. Today's episode moves me deeply. It is a pleasure to share this leader with you today, friends. Marisol Rarucha is an educational leader who doesn't just talk about restorative practices, equity, social justice, trauma-informed care, and generational poverty. She has both lived experiences and a proven record of doing this work while leading change in education and nonprofit systems. The impact of her passion, experience, work, and voice is felt beyond her community as she serves as the Chief of Partnerships and Strategy for the National Parents Union, as the Director of Culture and Community for DBC Inc., is a member of the Unidos U.S. National Institute for Latino School Leaders Alumni Council, and serves on the Board of Youth Empowerment's Finest. She has formed and used her voice as an educational advocate for students, parents, and our communities while creating space and providing resources for staff, students, and parents to elevate theirs. Marisol's passion is ensuring all students, especially those pushed out and most marginalized by society and our school systems, have high-quality educational experience and are provided comprehensive services. She has engaged in the real work of addressing and ending the school-to-prison pipeline by building and leading career readiness and career technical education in juvenile court and community schools. So let me be seriously real with you, friends. Marisol and I are connected, but we had not had a conversation prior to this interview, and she pushed me hard. As regular listeners of this podcast know, I have chosen for a long time not to shy away from critical yet uncomfortable conversations, and maybe you've been hearing my growth as the months have progressed. I know I have, and am willing to embrace some of the cringeworthy moments I have now as I look back on my own journey through this process of learning and growing. As I listen back to this episode during the editing phase, I can literally hear Marisol's chingona spirit lighting mine on fire right where I need it. She is a fierce and loving spirit who is perfectly suited for the purpose she has been called to, and I know this episode is full of value for you, my friends. Not only do we get to dive deeper into content about why it may be hard for many of us to face this concept of systemic racism in our own world, we gain insight into several resources, which I have linked here for you, and Marisol shares with stunning authenticity what fuels her own passion to do the important work and engage in conversations. I am thrilled to have gained a new friend and trusted advisor through the conversation we had, and am most deeply honored to share with you today Marisol Quevedo Rerucha's powerful and wise voice. Welcome, Marisol, to the In Awe Podcast. I am so excited to have you featured on this series, and I cannot wait for the conversation we're going to have today. 
Thank you so much. I'm very, very excited to be here. Okay. So it's possible that some of my listeners are not aware of who you are, even though that seems a little nuts, but I'm getting to know you a little bit better in this conversation too. So would you just do us a favor and share with us a little bit more about your current context? I was able to give a little bit in the bio, but you're a dynamic lady and I think there's more that we can know about you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Well, first of all, I'd like to introduce myself in in the way that really speaks to my heart and who I am. So I am Marisol Quevedo Rerucha. I am the wife of Daniel. I am the mother of Camerina, Emilia and Sofia. I'm the daughter of Irma Navran and the stepdaughter to Nancy. I am the grandmother to Isabella Luna and Cynthia Eliana. And I'm the granddaughter of Mexican immigrants, Camerina, Alejandro, Francisco and Carmen. They are from um, Durango, Sonora, and Baja California. I'm also the niece of Yolanda, and I'm the sister of Alex, Atia, and Cameron. Oh, I, I love how you went through each one of those beautiful identities. That's so gorgeous. Well, it's, um, I carry, you know, I, I don't, I come into a space um, with not just representing my own voice, but the voice of my family, of my ancestors, and with the hope of our future and our future ancestors. And so I, I feel like I, I represent the dreams, the greatest dreams of my ancestors, and I'm carrying the, the dreams for, for my future ancestors. And, you know, I represent all the people who have poured love, wisdom, and even challenge into me. So that's why I bring them into the conversation. That's just so, <laughs> so beautiful. And I love that you, um, that you started out there because there's the, a big world out there that knows you for your professional work. And I think sometimes we just forget to acknowledge and be grateful for that purpose that we serve in the legacy of our families. And you've just so beautifully illustrated how uh, much of a priority that is in your life. So thank you for doing that right out the gate. Yeah, you know, you're welcome. You're very, very welcome. I find that when I introduce myself in that way, that a lot of people, they actually appreciate it and they will start to introduce themselves in that way also, which I think is really beautiful um, because it, there's a connection. You know, we're not here in the world on our own or we're here in the world um, again as, as the hopes, the dreams um, of our family and our ancestors and, and of our future. So um, I'll share a little bit about myself. So I'm born and raised in uh, San Diego, California. And as I said, I'm the granddaughter of Mexican immigrants. My grandparents came, uh, three of my grandparents, so on my mother's side, my they came before the 1920s. My uh, On my mother's side, my grandfather was raised in the, the missions here in California. And my father is from a farm working family. So my parents settled here in San Diego and they've stayed and this is where I've stayed. So currently the work that I've done, I was really drawn to education. So I was a middle school and high school English teacher, became an assistant principal and principal in the elementary school, which was phenomenal. The principal director of an alternative charter high school. And I last worked in the system as a, um, I led the career readiness and career technical education program in our juvenile court and community schools. I had made the decision to leave the educational system because um you know, working with students who are on the margins, who, you know, all those labels at risk, marginalized, high poverty, um, high trauma, 
substance abuse, all of the issues, all, all the ACEs factors that you can think of. That was really, really the population that really spoke to me. And being in the system, I really saw in the higher I got in the system, I saw how much the system was working against us being able to get work done with students. And I just made the decision to trust my experience, to trust the work that I've done and to trust myself. And, um, and I left. So um, I um, thought I was going to be a full-time consultant. And what I, what I'm actually doing now is I work, I work part-time with DBC publishing. I'm the director of culture and community. And I absolutely love that job. So I read manuscripts and I speak with authors, uh, mostly uh, really majority of white uh, male authors about some things that are coming up in their writing and some the way that some of their work can be perceived that show potentially implicit bias. Um, so, so I'm kind of what they call like a sensitivity reader looking through the lens of culture and race. And I also have started leading work with them for their book studies and article studies around those issues of race, equity, implicit bias, inclusion, diversity. So that's one one thing that I do, I also, I work with the National Parents Union, which was formed in January, and it is a group of parents throughout the nation. These are individual parents, some are grassroots organizations, some are, you know, full nonprofits who are really fighting for their kids. These are warriors for their kids. And I had partnered with the founders as they were developing the idea for the union over a year and a half ago. And so I started off as a consultant and I am their chief now of partnerships and strategy. And with them, I am... I, I do a Facebook live show, which I absolutely love. We were doing five days a week, and that was really in response to COVID, really wanting to provide parents with information. And also, so the purpose of my show is to provide parents and um, all of us really with a space, it's called the nightly restorative check-in with a space to check in with the space to, you know, hear from somebody else, hear their story, hear how they're doing and really like how, how they're trying to connect with the best versions of themselves. And even through, you know, all the, the difficulty that COVID was, um, has been also like the blessings within that. And then also having a space to really start to talk about our emotions all of the emotions um, that that you know many of us have been, have been feeling since uh, George Floyd passed away was murdered and what what's happened in our society mm-hmm. with the protests with the you know with the with the riots and also you know with the face of police brutality so it's been a space a safe space to just connect and that's been that's been a true blessing so aside from that I also work with um, other <laughs> nonprofits and um, some charter schools you know just trying to help what I can so that's currently the work that I'm doing I feel like I talked a really long time <laughs> and the, and you and I both know that you shared, uh, but you still only got ankle deep into to what you're doing. And so I'm just so grateful that we got an opportunity to hear more about that. And also that we are able to feature you here on this, this series on voices, because what I'm hearing from you is that you took the choice to step away from a role that you loved and that you were clearly um, successful in to have a greater impact. And when I'm thinking about, you know, the fact that DBC, um, 
books hired you, DBC Inc. hired you to do this good work, um, you know, and now there's a real heightened sense of um, implicit bias, unconscious bias. Um, I know we hear a lot of these conversations that are just rolling around with educators in light of the recent um, events, but you've been in that space and your voice is there and your experience is there. And also, I love this um, this other space too, where you're serving the parents, um, the National Parents Union. And I'll go ahead and link that too, so that listeners can check you out there because we need that voice right now, um, you know, more than ever. So I'm glad to hear that you have been using your gifts in that way. And I also was kind of chuckling as I was listening to you because I was thinking, I've, I've seen so many people just now coming to this conversation about um, racial injustice. You know, we're, we just now, I myself just watched the documentary on Netflix with um, 13th and, and there's just so much information uh, for a large percentage of people to come to now where, um, this work has been in the back, like, I don't want to say the back, but the backdrop, I guess, <laughs> for quite a little while. And you're somebody who's been leading in that space. Is, is that fair to say? Well, I, I think that it was work that was being done by people of color. Yes. And I think because of that, and because we live in a racist society, like because of that, that's why it was seen as a backdrop. And, you know, it's very interesting when you look at who the equity officers are, who the chief, you know, of equity or diversity and inclusion, by and by, it's a person of color. So I think that it's been seen as the work of our black, brown, indigenous um, people, as opposed to work that all of us need to engage in. And so I'm, I don't want to make an assumption or speak for you, but there must be a frustration that that you can feel from that, um, like an exhaustion from being the representative where I feel like I'm at a point now where I can say it without feeling like it's all about me and I'm not trying to center the conversation, but approximately a year ago, um, I had a heart to start engaging in the work that a lot of people are coming to right now. You know, I born as a white female um, positioned with all the white privilege, you know, and been unpacking and learning about that quietly for a good while. And so I understand maybe a little bit more than some people who are just kind of coming to it now. But what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing um, and what I'm noticing is this feeling of exhaustion from people of color who have been leading this work and are like, look, <laughs> quit coming to us for all the answers. You need to learn this on your own. Is that kind of fair to say? I think absolutely. And I, I will say not just for myself, but I think that what's really beautiful is that people have been able to be very vocal about that, to be vocal about yeah. like this, this has been exhausting. Um, and the other really beautiful thing is that there's so many resources, like so many people have written really great books and and have put together resources over time that there is a lot that, that people can start to uh, work through and digest. Yes. And, and see that, so I can say this, I'll say it from my perspective, since you were able to share from your perspective, um, is that we do have to take this up and, you know, it's one of those things that it can feel tiring, um, for anybody who's working on the work of what we are coining now as anti-racism, because as we're learning, a lot of people have been fighting this battle for a good long while. And if you're just jumping into it now, right when we're at a flashpoint and it's all you're seeing, and there's so many resources, it's almost like drinking from a fire hose because there's so much to consume, yeah. which is good because we're not sitting here scratching at, um, 
you know, scratching the surface. I mean, there's some really deep work that's been done around this content for us. And now it's just a matter of taking up that mantle and, and learning and then acting. So there's a couple of things that I always, whenever I come into conversations around this, I always, I usually bring a stack of books, but, but books that are not just about you know, anti-racism or about racism in the United States or about discrimination and prejudice. I also bring in books that really help people do work within themselves because Mm -hmm. we have to start with ourself. We have to start with unpacking our own pain and, and healing whatever trauma it is that we might have, whatever pain it is that we're carrying so that we can, because, you know, and, and, and fight with our ego, like fight, like do our stuff, do our work, because doing this work around around racism, it's very difficult. It's very hard. And people, you know, the reason why it's so hard is that we, we have been taught in this society to see racism as something that has a value of being very evil and being very dark and being very violent. And so it is very hard for people to own or take on the idea that they could potentially be racist because in the value, that's, that's a bad person. And really breaking down like racism is the system in which we are living. And by us refusing to talk about it as a whole society, then we can't really do the work to to address the prejudices that we have and discrimination that is faced. And so it's so and the other thing that I tell people is this is this is not work. You're not going to become an expert on this. I really don't, you know, and, and for that to be the goal, I think is a misalignment because this is lifelong work in, in, in my community. And I think about, you know, the indigenous, our indigenous community here in the United States, our black community, our, um, our brown community, we talk about generational trauma that 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 has been suffered by by our people and i really believe that our white brothers and sister sisters carry generational trauma as well and except that because you know white is the default in our society there hasn't been conversations around what that means and what that looks like and i think that this work in racism is starting to chip away at that but it's it's lifelong work as your wisdom pointed out taking gender or other intersections out of it, that self-awareness and that self-work is so hard anyway. Like anybody that's engaged in the work around, um, you know, personality, leadership styles, all of these things, it takes you actually being intentional Mm -hmm. to break down the walls that you put up, um, to learn about your own self and why you react to certain things. And so I love how you very gently and beautifully framed that because I I guess that is what I'm seeing. Um, A lot of frustrations in our professional learning network from people who have been at this work for a good long while. First of all, saying, thank you. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Now sit back and listen (laughs) Um, because they understand how long it takes, but then also expressing frustration with people who have been at it for a minute and think they're, they know, you know, they've got it. Right. Um, And so I just think that internal heart work is, at the crux of every everything we do for growth. And I just really thank you for pointing that out. And it, and I think it should take the pressure off. Like you don't have to have all the answers right now, just because it might be at the forefront. You know, um, you don't have to 
have to have everything figured out. For me, I, I've been working on this um, in this group. Have you heard of it yet called Be the Bridge? It's Latasha Morrison um, has been doing some work. Have you heard of her? I, I have heard of Be the Bridge, Latasha Morrison, you said. And the reason I bring her up is because um, she it, there is literally a space where you go into this Facebook group and, and me as a person entering, I have to um, commit to three months of silence and just watching and, you know, paying attention to what people are saying and the, the language, because as you said, racism itself just has such a heavy um, connotation to it for us, for everybody, for individuals and as a society. And I think also hot button words like white privilege um, can also kind of turn people away when they don't understand until they start to peel it apart and realize what those terms can mean. Is that Has that been your experience working with people as well? Well, I think part of that is because it takes away from the understanding of the human experience. Because we as human beings, the bottom line We all have felt pain. We all have felt otherized. We all have felt like we didn't belong. We all have felt marginalized. We have all felt like a victim at some point. We have all felt like a a perpetrator at some point. And that's part of the human experience. And I think what, you know, what can be really difficult is that somebody who is white that has suffered from, you know, from all of the things, from poverty, from abuse, from violence, and, um, you know, and et cetera, et cetera, and has been able to pull themselves in their life together and come out of that and have what, you know, what can be deemed a success, it can be very hard to see like, well, how could anybody have had it harder than me? Which is why mm. looking at what racism is as a system is so important. Um and, and looking at how racism, prejudice, and discrimination have impacted, and they, they, these are living, these are living things in our policies and in our laws. So I think being able to open that, you know, like someone who's been poor doesn't feel privileged. But I think doing some of that work and that understanding of really what systemic racism in, is can help open that door. Um, what I have found is that people have been very open and I have worked predominantly with educators, you know, having these, they're, and they're hard conversations to have. They're really comfortable. <laughs> and I will tell you, Sarah, like if, if there is a hard one, I know I have to have, I pray, I, I plan, I problem solve. Like I get myself together spiritually, emotionally, um, in order to have the conversation because the messages are so important. And I have found the major, the vast majority, I would say if I've talked to, I, I'm just going to give, if, and I have not talked to 100 authors, but if I had talked to 100, I would say that maybe two or three were, were not really wanting to hear what I had to say. Um, and so those are, to me, those are really uh, great percentages. Well, I can tell why it goes well for you because I appreciate that you acknowledge they're not. It almost feels like you're doing uh, mental gymnastics, <laughs> right? Um, to to engage, but you, you have such a really beautiful and gifted way about going around the conversations that I think um, welcomes is a welcome, like a welcome mat, I guess, is what what I'm experiencing with you right now, Marisol. Um, and one of the things that I would say is. Uh, you know, I've chosen to kind of be brave and engage in, in conversations for a while, and I don't feel prepared um, still to 
and, and in fact, I've screwed up even the last couple of weeks with my family, for example, um, because I don't, I don't feel prepared to lead the conversations and maybe that's good. Maybe that's where I need to recognize that I'm not yet there and that's okay. But I'm so grateful for people like you, um, that are, and that are doing it well to create, um, bridges, you know, for, for us to have these conversations, because I think it's really critical. And especially in the field of education, and I know this is a passion for you, where the work we have has such a very direct and profound impact on our society. Um, you know, because that's where all, you know, kids start. <laughs> it's where the adults grow from, right, is our systems. And so um, educators, we need to be engaging in these in these challenging conversations. So I'm going to push back because the thing with this, so this is, this is with anything in life. And it's something that I, I recognize more and more as I get older is that we're never there. Like people who really strive to have a fit body know that um, if they stop exercising or stop eating well, then, then their health deteriorates. And it's the same thing with like my emotional health and my spiritual health. I can't let it go. I, you know, if I stop praying or start, stop engaging in ceremony, then I start to feel a disconnect. And so the same thing with my relationships as a mother, as my children have grown, I have a 26 year old daughter, my, uh, my second daughter will be 25. I have a 14 year old daughter, you know, I have had to continue growing and adjusting um, as a mother and, and, and learning in our relationship. So we're never there. And I think if we can see this work in that same way that you're never going to get there, that you just have to keep trying. I think that's one thing, like giving yourself the grace and the acceptance of that. The other piece is that, you know, and I learned this from a book and it was, uh, it was when I was a school principal and it was talking about, I was really struggling. Um, I'm not necessarily naturally somebody that's really great at like celebrating or doing like celebratory stuff. And in this leadership book, I can't remember who it was, but they were like, you just got to do it. And I think with leading the conversation, you just got to do it, like face into the pain, face into the discomfort and freaking lead the conversation. (laughs) I love it. Yes. Right. Because we're not going to get it right. And maybe if we just are able to continue to be open to that growth, you know, um, well, and, and that's a very woman thing, like get it right. It's a very woman thing. And that comes from us not feeling like we're enough. We And there's a thing about like, we will all say, oh, no, I'm not a perfectionist or like, I'm not trying to get to perfection. But in a way we are. You're not going to get there. You're going to that's mm-hmm. life. We screw things up in life all the time. Like we do that in our marriages and our relationships with our kids, with the people that are most important to us. We screw up. It might not, you know, it might not be every day, but, but the more and more that you focus on it, the more and more that you, you put value and time into it, then the less you screw up. Right. And the, the more confident that you feel, but that doesn't mean that just because you're not feeling confident or that you shouldn't try. Really well stated. Um, and you know, that it does take courage and, This whole series is kind of couched around a quote um, from an activist, Maggie Kuhn, who says, you know, you need to speak your mind even when your voice shakes because you don't know eventually who will hear you. And um, something along the lines of the smallest uh, pebble can fell a giant, you know, so we have to, we absolutely have to. And so even though I sometimes don't feel equipped, I'm still willing to engage in it and screw up. And this will be a lifelong journey for me. And I'm so grateful for, um, you know, strong, powerful voices 
voices, confident voices that are out there. For you, uh, Marisol, who do you kind of, whose work are you drawn to in the space of social justice and even the school to prison pipeline, if we could kind of touch upon that topic a little bit? For me, it's the work of the people that are always on the, on the, on the front lines, you know, that, that are actually engaged in the work. Um, but I think a really great resource is Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow. And she talks about, you know, from slavery to mass incarceration. She just does a really beautiful job of describing how um, our system was built and, the, and, and why the system continues. So that's a space that I think is really important. You know, Ava, I, I think it depends on what, um, you know, like the who for me is also about like in what way. So in the entertainment world, like Ava DuVernier's When They See Us, I think is another really um, hard example to watch of of what happens in, in mass incarceration and in the way that um, specifically our black males have been um you know, really caught up into the system. There is also another book, I can't remember the name of the author, but it's called Push Out. And it's about how our, um, how our school system pushes black girls into incarceration as well. And I think that that goes through, if you look at, you know, disciplinary practices and such. Um, I think regarding social justice, just overall, I look at what organizations and what people are doing. So I definitely, I definitely follow like what ACLU is doing here in San Diego. Norma Chavez Peterson is a Latina. She's the executive director of San Diego and Imperial County. So definitely I follow her. I look at what Sean King has going on. Um, Sean King has, um, is an activist. He has a show called The Breakdown. Have you heard of him? I have, but I've not engaged with his work. So I'm going to make sure to look into that and link. But if you please share further, if you'd like. Yeah, well, he he does some he's he is on the front line. So he he has massive following. And when something goes down, like he'll post like, hey, this person did this. Who are they? What's their name? Um, you know, there was some there, there have been some questions about his finances, but he's put out, you know, because he 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 gets millions and millions and millions of dollars for the families um, of victims and also for victims of police brutality of racism and um, just, just really phenomenal. Another organization that I think is amazing is the equal justice initiative. And that was um, started by Brian Stevenson, who is featured in the film, just mercy, which is based on his memoir, just mercy. And he started, he, he did work, um, his work is really around um, getting people who off of death row who, who, were, um, who were innocent. And the Equal Justice Initiative has the museum and the memorial. The museum is called, um, I, I believe it's the same, like slavery, from slavery to mass incarceration. And the memorial is the, lynching, the, lynch, the lynching memorial in... Um, in Montgomery, Alabama. And I really believe that that's a place that all, all of us, all, all school children, school age children should um, be able to go to, that the education system should make that happen for us to face some of our reality, but really, really powerful. Um, I think regarding books, you know, White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo is, is a must recommend. Uh, Ibram Kendi has been doing this, has done some amazing work. He has a three, three big books out, How to Be an Anti-Racist, Stamped from the Beginning, and there's another Stamped. Um, 
Um, but there's just a whole lot out there. And I will make sure to link all of the resources. I've heard about the Equal Justice Initiative um, and just came to the movie, which this um, podcast episode will be launched in June. So it's still going to be available, um, I believe, Netflix. And I might it might be streaming in all spaces for free. Uh, so thank you for pointing further to that organization, because I think... Um, And that's a good entry point for many of us. And then also, I know a lot of people are, you know, they're calling to action too, right? So it's important for us to learn and consume and follow and, and um, amplify. But I think that action piece is also, you know, where are you voting and where are you putting your dollars and, and how are you supporting organizations that are doing this really important work? And it sounds like um, the Equal Justice Initiative is one that I've heard recommended on a lot of the larger platform podcasts that I listen to as well. So thank you for bringing that one up. Yeah, the Southern Poverty Law Center has also been doing really amazing work for a very long time. So they're another group that that I look at um, to see what it is that they're doing. Like, hey, what's going on? Awesome. Thank you for that. It's one I hadn't heard of. So Marisol, I'm really curious. (laughs) I don't want to make any assumptions, but I'm just really wondering, what do you think it is that, you know, lit your passion for the work around these topics that we've been covering today as so much more, obviously, I mean, you're a leadership person, you're, um, I'll link Marisol's website, but you're, you know, you're a sewer, you're an artist, you're, you, you named it, you're a mother and an aunt and all these and grandmother and all of these wonderful things. But what do you think lit your passion for this work? I, um, my parents were both community activists. They were, they were, uh, you know, very present in the Chicano movement. And my mom actually led, um, a very large nonprofit here in San Diego called the Chicano Federation. And so I've always, both of them, and I, you know, not just them, but our families have always really prioritized not just education, but community and the, you know, the, the value of, of the other, um, of our community that we're, we're here for each other. And, and we have a moral imperative to care for, for others um, and to make sure that everybody is taken care of and treated well. And I think that's the foundation specifically with this work. So, you know, having said that, we were still, um, you know, I, I still received free uh, reduced lunch at school when we were growing up. We lived in a rented house and, you know, my mom worked a lot. My parents were divorced. Um, they're also really, really, they're, they're both brilliant um, in many, many ways. But so we had a lot of time and I think I, I think about, you know, nature versus nurture. And in high school, I um, definitely, so I, I graduated in high school in 1992, but I barely graduated from high school. When I believe my junior year, one semester, I had a 0.5 GPA and I was really running with people who, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of parental supervision, a lot of poverty. Um, you know, one of my friends had had a child in high school. I had friends that were living with their boyfriends. I had a friend that was actually selling drugs for her boyfriend at school. Um, and drugs was, was never something that I was really into, but definitely there was that life. Um, and I'll just say like kind of that, that kind of gangster lifestyle. And I wound up... Um, after high school, I met my daughter's biological father, who was from um, from a gang here in San Diego, and was a meth addict. Um, and you know, not when we met, but after I got pregnant with my first daughter, 
and stole from me and was in, you know, wound up going to jail and wound up actually being in prison for a couple of years. Um, and I, I also saw, you know, he was somebody, his, his dad had died when he was young. His mom really didn't want him and always made it clear to him since he was, since he was little. So just a very damaged person. But I saw, you know, the way that I, I, I saw the reality, um, of of what happens when people are living in extreme poverty and also when people don't have opportunity through and and are experiencing you know all of the traumas i don't know if you've talked about aces on your show but you know uh violence um sexual abuse drug use as substance abuse in their families um and so for me, I, I decided to, so I got pregnant at 19 and I was pregnant with my second daughter at 21 when I graduated from community college. And it was when she was three months old that I finally, um, and their biological father hit me that I finally left. But I, you know, had a restraining order. I had, you know, I went through all of that and I just realized that that was not my life. Like that was not who it was that I was meant to be. But sitting at the WIC office, sitting sitting at the social security office, um, like I saw the reality and I really wanted to make an impact. I wanted to be, you know, I, I went into education wanting to be the person that um, that was not there for me and my friends. And then, you know, really being connected to the work, especially in the facilities, you know, people deserve multiple opportunities for change. Um, People deserve multiple opportunities of exposure and to see what's out there in the world for them. And they deserve grace and forgiveness. And um, so that's that's really the the core of of why I I do the work that I do. Has anybody told you lately how amazing you are? (laughs) You did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you are. As I'm listening to you, I know, you know, in your bio, it says that you bring lived experience, but for you to be willing to share those details, um, you know, here on the podcast is, it's really a blessing because all along in this interview, we've heard from you about um, the spiritual practices that you employ. We've heard that, you know, in order to grow, you can't, you can't stop feeding yourself, you know, whether that's that for your physical health or for this topic about um, race relations in our country or racism and, and all of these things. And here you are a person who's, you know, it's living that out. And I uh, just, I'm really thankful that you shared that with us. And it shows that your life is being used for great purpose, um, you know, through all of that challenge that you've been able to re- be resilient through, which is amazing. Absolutely. That's, um, you know, I, I definitely, I show up exactly who I am in whatever space it is that I'm in. And that's because I want to live a life without regrets. I want to live a life being honest and being um, true to myself. That's very, very important to me. And so any question you ask, I'm going to ask, and you know, I'm going to answer it the, the most honest that I can, because that's a way that I'm honoring you. And I'm honoring, um, I honor myself and I honor you by being who I am. It's beautiful. And and I hope that the world just continues to um, show you what that means, because that authenticity can't be faked. And it also speaks again back to what you said about uh, the percentage of conversations where it goes well, because that transparency is what will get us working through these hard issues. You know, I, I believe that showing up as real people without all of that extra, you know, but we don't need, it's all pretense anyway. Yeah, that's why we got to do our work, my friend. 
Yes. Oh my goodness. Oh, Marisol, we could talk about 5,000 topics. I am so grateful that you joined me. Um, and I'm so sad that the interview is coming to a close. And then I'm going to ask you my two standard questions. And I just want to thank you once again for this um, really good conversation that I think is definitely, that's got a mission in it that I know listeners need to hear right now. And your voice is just so valued. So are you ready for those two standard questions? I am. Awesome. Okay. So the first one is if you could write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, what would you say? I would definitely tell myself to trust my instincts. I think that that, that for me is the biggest, the, the biggest thing is, is to trust what it is that, um, that I'm feeling. Um, because I think had I trusted my instincts, <laughs> um, and I don't believe, uh, you know, I, again, I don't believe in having regrets. Every single thing that has happened in my life, all of the difficulty, all the challenge has made me, has provided me the opportunity to be who I am. So I'm very grateful for, for the darkness and for the challenges and the hard times. But I think just, you know, I wish that I, I had learned earlier to really listen to myself. And the other thing is just moving my body more, like just being somebody that would, you know, just, you know, would take, take walks and be outside every day. Cause that's just not who I am. Um, but I, you know, there's definitely always been a part of me that has enjoyed moving my body. So I think just sticking closer to that. So those two things. Those are great. Um, and, I, and what I love about these questions is they always spark. And uh, I know me and I'm certain my listeners something about, yes, me, you know, me too. <laughs> I, I, they might, um, you know, definitely identify with that now or at a different part in their lives. So how about this one? Um, if we have listeners that find themselves in a pit of fear or doubt around any topic, maybe the ones that we've been talking about, maybe something totally different, what do you think you could say to help them kind of rise up out of their own pit? I think they need to be in the pit. I think they, I think they need to honor the pit. I think they need to honor their emotions. I think they need to honor their anger and their fear. I think, or, you know, whatever that is, if it's sadness, if it's fear, if it's being stuck, you have to feel it honor it because nothing in this world is permanent. Um, you know, the, the feeling will eventually fade. The feeling will end, but you have to honor how you're feeling and, and embrace it because it's going to end. And then you can start to get ready for action. Then you st can start, you know, start to get ready for, okay, now, now what do I do with this? How do I use this to push myself forward? The other thing is that it's really been, through the darkness and through the mountain of challenge. And, you know, there have been times in my life, even very recently, when I really did not know, um, and I'll just say just really quickly, you know, like re relationships with my older daughters, I did not know um, if we were going to ever find our ways, our, our ways back to each other. And it was really scary and it was really hard. And I did the work that I needed to do. Um, but coming out on the other side, you know, it's the most amazing, beautiful feeling to have done the hard work and to have grown and to see the changes and the impact by, by me doing my work and by you doing your work um, and, and facing into the pain and facing into the challenge and facing into the discomfort and facing into the fear by us doing that and getting the resources and support to get through it. When we come out on the other side, that's 
really how we also can continue to impact the world. Because now you have an experience that you can share with others to give, to support them and show them the way that it can be done. And I think that that's really the most beautiful thing that we can offer the world is, is ourselves as an example of how to continue to just strive to be, you know, who we were meant in this world and be the best version of ourselves. That's so beautiful. And somehow just your connection with your um, daughters and just being open like that. I needed to hear that today. (laughs) We are, I've got a, an 11 and an eight year old and man, we're just in like this hard time right now. And I just needed to hear from you to dig in and and face that and to continue to do the work. And it's not about um, nobody's life is perfect. And we need to make sure that we're lovingly doing that um, and not giving up. So I just, I thank you. (laughs) I know I'm not the only one who needed to hear that. But it seemed perfectly timing for me. <laughs> I'm going to make one quick recommendation. So this book, I wish I would have had it sooner. It's called The Conscious Parent okay. by Dr. Shafari Sabari. Um, T-S-A-B-A-R-Y, I think is her last name, but The Conscious Parent. I wish I would have had it sooner. Um, but she really like digs into how we can do our work as parents so that we're not putting our stuff on our kids. Perfect. I have, um, I'll link that one too, and I'll be picking up a copy myself because I need to start pouring into myself in that way. (laughs) All right. Well, Marisol, you have been just such a great voice on this podcast. I know my listeners are going to want to connect with you. I will link your website and contact information, but what do you think is the best way for listeners if they have heard something and they just want to engage with you directly? after this episode? Yeah, definitely um, my email. So my email is M-A-R-I-S-O-L-R-E-R-U-C-H-A-1 at gmail.com. I have a bunch of emails because of all the work that I do, but that's the best one. Um, And then also I just wanted to share, um, I have a book coming out on healing. It's on restorative practices in November that I'm really excited about um, because I think it also is going to help us look at ways that we can start transforming our systems by doing our work in schools. Thank you so much for mentioning that. And so I'll be sure to put a reference into that. Um, And then when it comes out, you let us know and I will tag the in our community because I know they're going to want to read about that. This idea of restorative justice is so important it's not just a buzzword, right? Like we need to heal from, from these things. And I'm so thankful that you're putting your time and effort and energy into that. And I cannot wait to get a copy. Sarah, thank you for your work. Thank you for this platform. And thank you for sharing and elevating the stories of other women. It's really, really amazing. Thank you. It is my pleasure. I continue to be completely awe-inspired by every single guest on this podcast, and I am so grateful every time you choose to share, rate, review an episode. It matters so greatly to the mission and the message of our guests, and I appreciate every time you help one another rise by lifting up the message. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you being a part of this awe-inspiring community.